We always say seat time is king, so sit on down and listen in to Motorsports Tech Talk with your hosts, Brian and Eric. Eric, how's it going? Uh, all right, I suppose. I uh, had my first experience using a, like a dent pooler suction cup matic thing this, mm. this weekend. Mm. Um, so that was an experience. Yeah, it's... It's uh, it's one of my favorite spec me out of body damage repair tools. You got to do that when you're pumping everybody off. <laughs> yeah, I tried. I tried to avoid that, but uh, you know, every once in a while, it's just a little close quarters action. You can't. It's just I don't know. They're like magnets, you know. They just, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You can't. Can't get away from it, but. Yeah, fortunately, I've only had to use it once on on the dents on dents I've made. the The car came with a lot of kind of kind of came pre dented. Sure. Um, but so I I tried to make it look a little more presentable, and then and then mm-hmm. did a little un unpresenting, I guess, to it myself. But um, but yeah, for the uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it stinks when you have to use it on your your street car for sure. Yeah, not a not a big fan of that. Yeah, so but uh you know, it's it's starting to starting to warm up a little bit around here. That's that's nice. Oh, it's beautiful. Makes I you... uh I was inside yesterday um doing some shenanigans um in downtown Detroit and realized uh that the amount I paid for the parking meter wasn't going to be enough. So I had to go pay more. And I walked over there in shorts and a t-shirt. It was beautiful. There you go. I wasn't cold. The weather's getting good. It's probably going to get cold again. (laughs) But uh, no, it was real nice. Real nice. Yeah, it makes you you feel like winter's maybe, or racing season is just around the corner, which, yeah, you know, for at least club racing and everything, it's, uh, it's getting there. I'm... Time starting to tick on the uh, Spec Miata stuff, but uh, I think I I think I have have it under control. Get it out there. I, you know, fortunately, I don't, the main thing is just the transmission to get it within racing. But that rear diff, I'm hoping to get done very soon. But uh, but anyway, yeah. yeah. I mean, I live um, pretty close to Woodward. Um, hopefully, there's no stalkers listening. But uh, not that anybody would want to. But um, anyways, the point is, it's uh, where a lot of people like to get rowdy. And you can hear it. You can hear the weather getting warmer. You know, <laughs> uh, yesterday, you know, uh, you hear loud cars all day. And even like laying in my bed at like, you know, 1230, one in the morning. I hear people brapping up and down. <laughs> so... It's a beautiful place to be as long as you're into that thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess speaking of brapping, um, yeah. This week we thought we'd touch kind of a new topic. Uh, we're gonna, we were thinking to talk about engines today. Yeah, you know, engines and engine mods, and um, yeah. Down the line, we'll get uh, more technical, like the specific sizing, and you know, whatever bits of you know turbos and nonsense but uh for now just we've done a lot of intros it's something similar you know you hear a lot of streetcar bros talking about different stages which is useless 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's a stupid phrase, but it's what they do. So, you know, just talk about engines and what you can do, um, where to start, uh, where you'll see performance, and maybe even a little bit of a what's snake oil. So Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of similar to last week where we kind of went through breaks and looked at you know, the, the best bang for the buck or the best places to look first. That's kind of what we would like to do today. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as uh, we kind of, we're, we're trying to cater our audience maybe towards like the endurance racing kind of side or club, 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 club racing in general. But um, so in, in, in that realm, engine mods can be either, you know, if you're in the like time attack and everything, it could be plentiful, basically completely open all the way to your, you know, like spec me out and stuff where there's really not much you can touch, but there's always things you can do to improve it. Um, but I guess if we're looking at kind of a overall like open rule set where you can do whatever you want, um, you know, one, I guess a lot of times in, in those types of things, it's, it's more limited to either the types of mods you can do or power to weight. Um, Mm-hmm. In the case of power to weight, obviously you wanna you wanna get that peak horsepower you want, but kind of like what we talked about a few weeks ago, horsepower and torque. You want uh, you want a lot of torque, which means just more low end horsepower, basically. Yes, that's and, exactly what it means. Yeah. So, uh, in order to try to basically have almost like a flat power curve, I know, I know some series try to maybe penalize you a little bit for that i think wrl has a rule based on that because there's basically some teams tuning their car to that maybe it could achieve a much higher horsepower level but then they just kind of detune it on the on the top end and just have a nice flat horsepower curve which you know that, that'll work for you but mm-hmm. but i guess if you're just starting off even just doing track days and you want to get a little more horsepower although i wouldn't recommend it this is the maybe the first place you look uh i would look more at or just doing, making sure your car's reliable, just getting good seat time, and then maybe start diving in if you're chasing lap time, that chasing that sub 140 at Gingerman, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so sub 140 is absolutely critical, and you need to chase that for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I guess, you know, personally, power mods are the last place I look. Um, it's obviously easier, right? Anybody can stick the throttle pedal all the way down on a straight it's not so it's easier for more more people to take advantage of but um yeah someone who's you know likes the sensation of driving and whatever um uh, it's, it's not what i care about i'm always focusing on suspension and brakes and whatever um, but if we are going to get into that uh and i guess starting in a more simple area you know before before the full race car, um, just a track day bro car. Um, you know, you see a lot of these people, I guess, going to cold air intakes. Hmm. Does that do anything for me? Why don't you tell me about that? Yeah, um, I know. There's basically, there's a lot of different, there's the cold air intakes or the short ram intakes. Or, there's a lot of different names for different things. Um, uh, traditionally, I've seen some of the cold air intakes, they try to relocate the air filter kind of into maybe the front bumper kind of area to get a little cooler air, but potentially uh, you're going to get some water if it rains uh, in your right. intake. Not the best. Uh, and then you're kind of short ram, which just replaces your, your air box. Um, 
with now this giant mega cone filter kind of deal. Wait a minute. That sounds to me like just about every cold air intake kit I've ever seen <laughs> is a short ram intake. Yeah, for the most part, that's going to be your more common arrangement. And from my experience, so usually, so the factory intake system is going to be, it's going to be designed to adequately flow for, you know, the engine horsepower, the stock engine horsepower. Um, of course, it's, and it's going to be designed to be serviceable with a nice little panel, cheap panel air filter that'll be good for, you know, cheap to replace and easy to change out. Um, one thing that the OEM, you know, OEMs do very well is is making something that can pull some cold air from usually the front grill area. So that's I think that's one kind of misconception. A lot of these aftermarket designs I see potentially are going to pull a lot more hot air, which mm-hmm. in in a drag racing situation might not be as big of a deal because you're you're just the run so short, not everything's going to heat soak. But in like a track day or track racing, I I could definitely see it affecting it over time, increasing your intake temperatures. And then usually your mass airflow sensor and ECU will kind of compensate for that by reducing your ignition timing and and basically pulling power. Right. So, I mean, like most of the stock air boxes I've seen pull from the fender. Mm -hmm. um, And then your, I guess what's colloquially called is cold air intake, but as you've just described, is a short ram intake. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those are just, well, they're short and they have a cone filter. So they're pulling from under hood rather than the fender. Yeah. Which is why you're saying it gets hotter. Yeah. If it heat soaks, right? Um, so yeah, I, I guess just something of interest, you know, um, maybe that's making it slightly worse. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe. But if you're about to tell me that a team of engineers that tuned an intake <laughs> uh, did better than someone who stuck a tube and a cone filter on something, I'll be blown away. <laughs> There's no way I would have seen that coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because they can, they can usually advertise kind of power gains. The funny thing is, is some of that will be uh, by changing the airflow into the engine around the mass airflow sensor. Potentially, you're you're tricking the sensor into basically making the, the engine run leaner, which can provide some power. If Because usually f- from the factory, at least older engines nowadays, uh, kind of lean burning is, is very important for good fuel economy. So mm-hmm. uh, I haven't really seen much, you know, data or results on cold air intakes on modern engines, say like, you know, like a new Mazda three or something like that, or a, Toyota Corolla or whatever the, you know, those newer four cylinders that are super efficient. Like, um, I haven't seen much on that, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of times it's just leaning out, which can be good for, good for power. There's kind of, uh, I mean, we could kind of get into this later, but there's kind of an ideal range of air fuel ratios for the most part that can prom- promotes the, the best power, at least for a natural aspirated vehicle. Um, but, um, but anyway, it might push you more towards that versus kind of the safer, richer burn that you might get at full throttle on most road cars, at least older ones that are tuned more conservatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is uh, I think a lot of the numbers that are advertised by like K&N or something is that a lot of times they do a tune alongside of the intake install to, to 
either offset that or, or just basically find other power that's available um, that maybe isn't just due to the intake. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is, there is something to say that old intakes, like I, when I look at my 88 Starion uh, and look at that intake setup, it's, it's not very good or high flowing. If anything, it's almost like restricted on purpose for emissions reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if I look at you know, my, my 2019 Corolla, it, it's got, I'm sure the panel filter is adequately sized and then it's got a nice snorkel basically that goes right to the upper radiator support that seals to the hood. And so you're getting like direct airflow through the front grill, uh, potentially slightly pressurized at, at higher speeds and then going right in the air box. So I, I don't expect much gains from that, but you know, you take your old E30 or Miata, you know, Miata's just pulling right from the engine bay too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you come up with something that can pull from the front grill or, you know, right. front radiator area or from the hood or something headlight, if you can remove that for your class or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. I've seen, well, I've seen a lot of one six Miatas that their aftermarket kit pulls from right above the header, which is a <laughs> super hot air intake. Yep. Um, my project car, I removed the headlight and pulled all the way from up there and had an intake uh, near the turn signal. Um, so it was cold. But, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting. I think the, the last time I looked at a kit from K&N, their numbers they advertised was, uh, it was about... I think it was three, somewhere between three and five peak horsepower, um, which generally I would consider is within the error range <laughs> yeah. of a dyno. So like that may not mean anything. I, I don't know how many times they made those runs, if it's a very consistent, you know, mean differential. But if they did one run and then one more run after that, that could very well mean nothing at all, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly, and and also that's peak, right? What if they're losing ten horsepower at four thousand RPM, but they're gaining three at you know sixty five hundred or something? Well, that's, sometimes they do. That's not gonna. I don't think that's gonna help you really. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe at the drag strip it might help you, but uh, not at the tr- on track where you're gonna be using a lot more of your rev range, sure, different corners and everything. So, um, honestly, what the thing I've I've felt that or found that is most effective is, I mean, going, going to a clone air filter can, I mean, it's more surface area. That's, you're just trying to, you know, have a little less resistance basically Um, that can help. And Mm -hmm. and then of course, going to a bigger pipe that goes to the throttle body can again, further reduce resistance, but that's, that's more of your top end gains that you're looking at. I, I don't expect for a track car to really see much there, you know, by changing the pipe size and, updating the filter i mean there's a reason why knn like dropping filters they can advertise a a gains because if you if you go on like youtube you can you can look up videos on people testing the filtration but basically it it's like 10 to 100 times worse than your paper air filter and and filtering which you know when i say that's because the stock filters do such a good job versus a knn you know doing much i'd say much worse but yeah it's not gonna damage your car or anything but it filters less which allows it to flow more yes so what i've um i've found is is you know if your car specifically has maybe some restrictions like it's kind of designed in 
then you can definitely improve it. Like there's a lot of resonance chambers on newer cars now that mm-hmm. uh, they're not going to help flow. So by optimizing with maybe a similar size pipe that doesn't have those, that could help. It's going to, of course, increase your intake noise, but it'll maybe drop a little bit of weight and then slightly optimize the flow a little better for higher RPM usage. Um, going to a cone filter is good as long as you can seal it very well. And then I think my biggest recommendation for especially, uh, you know, track cars and race, race cars, uh, is, is getting basically being able to duck directly from the front of the car, get positive pressure into Mm -hmm. that intake, uh, which won't show up on the dyno. You'll, you'll go to the dyno and, you know, they just have a fan in front of the car to keep it cool. You won't see that gain gain on the dyno, but you'll 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 feel it on the track. Um, I guess to put it into perspective, um, I a former one of my former bosses. He has a super fast uh, Plymouth Laser, that basically mm-hmm. the fastest. I forget if it's still the quickest front wheel drive drag car in the world, but definitely the front wheel drive unibody. Yeah, sure. you, sorry, yeah, unibody. I believe. He might still hold that by mm-hmm. like a hundredth or so, um, but he moved his turbo intake from from kind of a standard position to just having the turbo basically straight into the vehicle, you know, straight forward. And I think based on his data logs, he estimated. I mean, of course, you know, the thing's making over twelve hundred horsepower, but he he found like maybe a hundred fifty to a hundred horsepower just in, at the end of the track by having that ram air effect because. Right, yeah. and it's important for everybody listening to think about that in percentages. Yes, so right? you're not going to get 100 horsepower if your car's 120. Yeah, you know it's it's a percentage based thing, but yeah, I mean the the principle of clean air still stands. Yeah, so it having clean clean air and basically pre pressurized is just kind of like free free boost almost. <laughs> yeah. So if you have a turbo or just yeah naturally aspirated, it's almost like uh, free boost. So, I mean, and you look at, for example, yeah, you look at any, any LP one F one car, they have that scoop right on the top. That's getting mm-hmm. clean, uh, on a, uninterrupted air. That's just going straight, straight in that air box. So yeah, that's, that's basically, I'd call it free, free horsepower right there. It you won't see it on the dyno, but you will see it on track and that's where, that's where it counts. Yeah. Um, but Otherwise, I think yeah, there's not too many gains to get on the intake filter side, filter pipe that you know the cold air intake style. There's some, but I I wouldn't go sure. out and spend. I think you can come up with something for cheaper. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I guess um, as we move through these parts, um, if we're moving from simple to complicated, uh, I would expect the next few things to not really yield much results. Um, yeah, which really throws us into the next one, right? If I'm just some bro with a car that he's taking to car meets, you know, doesn't really know a whole ton. Someone says they're going to put an exhaust on my car, mm. right? What is, uh, I guess before we get into that, we should, we should separate. Um, lots of times people will say exhaust, but they mean cat back, um, which yeah. means from your catalytic, catalytic converter further behind mm-hmm. um which does nothing directly at the engine because your your headers um the exhaust that comes off 
the block hasn't changed or the, the head. Yes. Um, so I guess tell me if we're optimistic and we change the whole exhaust, headers included, tell me about that. What's happening there? Yeah. Um, I guess real quick, uh, the kind of going over the basics with engines is, you know, it, ultimately it's kind of like, kind of like an air pump, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's ultimately, you know, it's being powered by combustion and, uh, your, your main limitation to your, you can always add more fuel with injectors and everything, but if you can't get more air in and out of the engine, then you're not going to be able to make more power now. Yes. You know, one way to do that is with force induction. Basically, you're cramming more air in by pressurizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other way for, say, a naturally aspirated uh, is to, one, increase the, the you know, mass airflow in and out of the engine. And then usually from there, increasing your RPMs can also help since horsepower is calculated using RPMs. And, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess that's a, that's a good point to go even simpler before we get into maybe exhaust um the engine the four stroke cycle um is i mean people might use different different terms but the the full redneck phrase right would be suck squeeze bang blow mm-hmm. so um it's a four stroke engine which means you're going to pull air in and the piston moves down um in the in the cylinder which creates a vacuum pulls air in then it rotates or the crank rotates pushes the piston back up and compresses that air and then when you compress that air uh, your injector fires um, fuel into it um, and the fuel atomizes so you have your fuel air mixture and then uh, remember your piston is now near the top of the cylinder you have ignition from your spark plug, which creates that combustion event, which pushes the cylinder down. Uh, this is your power stroke. Um, this is where you know the, all the power from the engine comes from. Um, and then the piston will move back up one more time to push all those burnt gases out. That's your exhaust stroke. Um, so you have your intake compression power and exhaust strokes so i guess also as a note if anybody's trying to diagnose an engine problem that makes it pretty simple right you need to have air fuel and spark Mm -hmm. those are the three things you need to make your car run um so yeah so yes back to you for that yeah if you obviously yeah when, when you're trying to figure something out if if you can confirm sparks there, then usually it's going to be fuel wise. Uh, but then I guess it could be air too if something's clogged. So, but based on that, you know, we, you know, equally, I think equally important is getting just as important as getting air in is getting air out. And in this case, mm-hmm. a very hot fuel, uh, burnt fuel and air mixture um, uh, coming out. So, yeah, I think maybe it's, yeah, everyone's going to want to put a, you know, a cat back or something to make their car sound a little louder and better. Mm-hmm. Um, but which it, it can offer gains. Um, in my experience, uh, forced inducted cars tend to gain a lot more from reducing exhaust back pressure. Uh, Cause already there's uh, it, it's, it's all about getting, you know, flow through that turbo. 
to, to make sure you're, you can keep getting more boost, especially trying to improve your spool up and then uh, reducing, basically affecting that ratio between the, uh, the pressure in front of the turbine behind. You're trying to keep that as close to one-to-one -one as possible for very good flow. You don't want too much pressure to build up uh, in front of the turbo. That's more of a uh, kind of a header or manifold, turbo manifold slash turbine housing uh, issue there as well as the turbine itself the design of that but then on the other end you want to keep that back pressure down to help promote flow there but even on a naturally aspirated engine improving your exhaust flow kind of has especially in a especially i feel in a racing or endurance racing or track day um, situation is by having a more freer flowing exhaust you're helping reduce those cylinder temperatures and that can be very important for something that's going to get very hot over a very long period of time. So having a free flow exhaust is, I think, sometimes more important, I feel, than um, uh, than looking at the intake first. Because uh, modern cars, uh, most, most of their focus on the exhaust time, while they do worry about back pressure and it is important to them, a lot of it is emissions and, and warm-up, basically, to improve those emission devices. So, uh, a lot of times they're trying to make sure they can, can kind of get heat in the, in the catalyst as, as soon as possible. Obviously they have more and more catalysts now. Like a lot of cars will have two per kind of bank. So like four cylinder they'll have two V8s love four nowadays. Um, and it's like, I guess if you're, if you're doing a track day car, it might not re be realistic for you to start messing with your emissions equipment or maybe not the, the right thing for the environment either. Right. Um, but uh, uh, obviously that's one of the easiest ways, just getting rid of those to get performance and potentially a little safer. Uh, one thing to look out for if you're tracking your regular cars, those catalysts get hot, like uh, over the, just the outside of them will be over, you know, 500 degrees C, whatever that is in Fahrenheit. Um, and, uh, basically if you end up in the, do a little pirouette through the grass, uh, and you're sitting there a little bit that, that can cause grass fires pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, it generally heats up a lot around in that area. So, uh, you, you, I mean, if you haven't modified your car, if it's all stock and everything, it, it shouldn't be a problem. But if, you know, if you've been messing with your fuel lines or stuff like that, it can create some problems. So getting rid of those callus if it's a full race car, um, it's going to be an easy way to improve flow. Um, and then, you know, from there, I mean, everything downstream affects kind of upstream. So any, any resistance you can reduce, uh, downstream while maintaining kind of good sound levels. Cause one thing you have to look out for is a lot of tracks. I know NCM, Laguna Seca, there may be a few more, but those are the ones I know of that have sound limits that, right. Uh, yeah, Laguna is very strict. Yeah, very strict. So if you're if you're not quiet enough, you just can't even race. So that's the slowest car is the one that doesn't even start the race. So uh, yeah. that's one thing to be careful of. But because um, we you know, we all love loud exhausts and everything from time Maybe to time. V8. Yeah. Personally, I don't <laughs> like listening to really loud hondas or v6s or miatas it's just yeah buzzing I around the miatas, track but spec miatas are the worst sounding thing ever <laughs> i hate it yeah i i have a i have a steelo helmet that has kind of the built-in kind of 
ear cups that help reduce kind of do a little sound deadening and every time every once in a while when i'm driving through the pits with my helmet off maybe after a race or something after i got through impound uh i'm just like oh my god this thing is so loud (laughs) oh i I forgot like how loud and terribly like how terrible it sounds but that's just driving through the pits but um anyway uh yeah so Honestly, I think one area where I've seen people be able to get the most gains is from a properly designed and tuned header. Now, sometimes it can be, sometimes depending on if your car is well supported, there'll be some good designs out there you can just buy. Um, You know, ideally you could build your own, but basically when I say properly tuned, I'm talking about kind of basically anything on the intake or exhaust side since we're dealing with kind of frequency by, you know, rotations per minute is, is a frequency, mm-hmm. um, of the engine. Uh, you're a lot of times you're tuning for certain frequencies. So a stock engine in your Honda Civic or something, it's, it's going to be tuned for good, at least modern ones will be tuned for good low end torque. And which means, you know, horsepower in the lower rev, rev range and maybe less on the top end. So they'll, they'll, potentially start losing horsepower as as our as they come to their red line like a lot of times you'll see i think with my corolla for example it revs to i forget if the red line's like 6500 or something which is kind of low for a two liter um and i think peak power is like at 5800 or something so it's it's but peak torque is is pretty low rpm and it seems to hold it pretty well so it's designed for that more usable range because most people aren't going to be revving their engine out, right? Driving around town, and so they're going to more want more usable power, low end torque. Um, so because of that, your intake and your exhaust will usually be tuned for those RPMs to get you more torque and potentially more fuel economy by making it more efficient in those lower RPMs. So by now that you're racing your car and you want more high end power and and grunt. Uh, you can start looking into trying to basically tune it more for that um, higher RPM that you're going to be planning to use. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess um, when when we talk about that, I mean, you're you're talking about the tuning physically of the exhaust, but I think it should be noted um, that the actual engine tune is meant to uh, work with that. Right? Yes. So if you put on some sweet headers to really take full advantage of that, you do need to retune the engine. Yes. Um, you know, it, it may not necessarily be a bad thing to just put them on and let it go. Mm-hmm. It may not make it worse, but if you really want to take advantage of that, um, you're going to have to tune your engine after just about all of these things we're going to talk about. You know? Yeah. Yeah, to, definitely. To get the most out of it, you're going to want to basically recalibrate because <laughs> every you know when the engine was originally built and then calibrated from the OEM, they're they're going to be specifically focused on that configuration. And as soon as you start changing that, that's you know there's there's a lot of you know you have uh, closed loop feedback and all that kind of stuff that allows you to change things and potentially make more power without having to tune. But to get the most out of it, especially in full throttle situations where it's usually in open loop, which which means there's no feedback from your O2 sensor to, mm-hmm. to get your air air fuel ratio feedback, 
back into the ECU and then it, you know, can adjust the fuel from there. So a lot of times in full throttle, which like I said earlier, it can run rich from the, from the factory, uh, by adding more, you know, airflow without, I mean, the airflow sensor will compensate for it, but if you're kind of changing the airflow around that sensor, which can easily be done by changing that, that kind of intake piping, um, yeah, you can fool the engine into basically running leader then it feels like it should be, which can help power. But on the exhaust side, I've found that a lot of times the gains can be, a lot of gains can be had, you know, without having to retune too much. But of course, there's definitely going to be benefits from it. Um, but from the exhaust side, kind of what I was saying with kind of a tuned header is like, there's kind of two main uh, layouts that you see, especially, I guess, for uh, four cylinders and then one side of a V8, you'll see a, either four to one. So basically the, the pipes go from four down to two and then to one or a four to one. Um, for my experience, kind of four to one is better in almost every way other than your super, super high end. You just want extreme flow, less losses, uh, kind of, you know, short, short header for high RPM situation. But, um, Basically, what those extra transitions are helping you with is uh, just kind of, I guess, make it as simple as possible. Is every time those two exhaust uh, kind of uh, like the primaries flow, yeah, each primary as they flow into each other, when you have a four, two, one, each time they combine, they create a kind of back pressure wave, a, a reverse wave that goes back to the uh, exhaust valves and if based on how those are the the size and the length of those you want to you can time it so that as that back pressure or that the, the kind of wave comes back from the the combination of those two uh you know primaries it can you can time it so that at, just as the exhaust valve is opening it's kind of that pressure wave is coming back and then reversing so basically it's promoting more flow at certain RPMs, and that's that's what I mean by tuning. So, a properly tuned four two one will then have two different pressure waves coming back. So one from when they go four to two, and then another when they go two to one, and that allows for a little more tuning and a little more wider, uh, kind of wider torque range uh, in that situation. You know, kind of complicated. I think a little difficult for someone to kind of design their own. But if you if you're looking in the market for different parts, uh, a nice properly tuned 421 uh, header for a four cylinder or two 421s on a V8, um, you're going to see a lot of gains. For for a V6, I think you're kind of, you can do, I think there are some three two ones basically. So two of them will combine and then the last one combines with the others. But uh, there it's, I think it's a, a little different. I'm not too familiar with that setup, but Basically, by going with aftermarket header, you can update to a, a nicer equal length primary and secondary 421 header versus a lot of times the stock manifolds are just, they're not equal length. So there's going to be flow promoted into one cylinder versus another. Mm-hmm. So you, you you might have one cylinder that's performing less than the others. Um, so it, it helps with, helps with equalizing the cylinders as well as promoting flow at the higher RPMs. Uh, by using a 421, you can potentially have slightly wider power range for that header. And then 
added kind of bonus benefit is usually these headers, these tubular headers are a lot lighter than your cast iron exhaust manifolds. So it's kind of win, 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 uh, there. Of course, right. of course you can lose your, some of your low end torque, but if you imagine, if you I mean, look at the RPM ranges you, you're seeing on track, I mean, for something that revs to maybe 7,000, I wouldn't expect you to be below four on any shift. So yeah, definitely not four. So if you're, I mean, yeah, most of the time it's going between like five and seven for mm-hmm. your standard four cylinder engine. You can definitely sacrifice basically all the performance at that low end and try to just focus on that, that higher end. So just kind of when you're looking for, if you're looking at headers, I think there can be really big gains, both in the, at properly tuned to the RPM you're running at. And then also, like I said, it helps re- reduce the heat in the cylinder by extracting that exhaust better. Uh, and then from there, I mean, obviously you want to make sure you have a free flow exhaust from there. But I imagine if you're modifying headers, you can, you're probably close to the full race car territory and you can d- remove your catalysts and any other restrictions there. So, yeah, I mean, so I guess we should note that with the, uh, with the new headers, um, you know, that you're talking about it, it is the power gain is based off a differential of what the headers you have from the factory were tuned at. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are cars that are much more susceptible from a power gain Mm -hmm. from changing headers than, some others you might not see much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, like a really good example always is the S2000, both on an intake and exhaust side. Uh, is a lot of people will, I mean, it's a very highly strung, high revving, very well, nicely tuned, uh, low torque, high horsepower kind of, you know, engine. It revs to 9,000, at least the early ones did. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like a lot of people will see they'll put the K&N intake on there or they'll try to put a header on and maybe they get like three horsepower peak. But, you know, that's, I'm sure, not worth the thousands of dollars they might have spent on those parts. Right. So, but, yeah, but then you take your Skyactive four-cylinder from your Mazda or the new Miata or something that's tuned more for that fuel economy scene. I mean, I guess one really good example of that uh, is looking at the ND1 versus the ND2. Same exact engine, um, but they, instead of... Uh, my understanding is uh, uh, kind of looking up some of the history of it. The engine that they put in is basically directly from your Mazda three, which is, you know, your economy sedan. Uh, and they just didn't have the budget in the first few years to update that engine for that more Miata mm-hmm. sports car right. uh, scenario. Uh, and then once they saved up some of that budget and, and wanted to do a mid cycle refresh, that's when the ND two happened. And, they went and tuned, you know, throttle body side, intake manifold. You know, the actual physical engine is basically the same and the piston, you know, displacement's the same, but now instead of 155 horsepower, it has 181. And, you know, so that just shows, I, mean, I imagine it's low end torque is a little worse, but, um, but sometimes by improving overall engine airflow, they can also improve that low end depending on how, uh, how they optimize it. So, right. Yeah, when when given time to further develop something, you can always make it better. So, right. But but yeah. So I mean, if you take that ND one engine, you could probably find a lot more from these changes than that ND two, which was tuned a little better for higher RPMs and and so it's mm-hmm. yeah. 
it's always going to be a case by case basis. Don't expect you look and see some guy put put an intake on his Lancer Evo, you know, that's turbocharged that, you know, maybe has a slightly more restricted intake and they gain 20 horsepower because it tricked the ECU into thinking it needed more boost or something. <laughs> right. Um versus your yeah, your S2000 that's going to gain like 2 horsepower from an intake change if anything. Right. Um yeah, and I guess you mentioned uh, throttle body um, for the Miata update, um, which is part of the intake tract. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think what this is always, not I think, what this is always going to boil down to, right, is um, there's a specific energy available in gasoline. Mm-hmm. There's a stoichiometric burn, um, which means it's the ideal amount of fuel air mixture and combustion and you will burn as much as you as physically possible mm-hmm. right um and then you know that's that's out of here it's gone in the exhaust stroke right but um i guess the point is that there's a fixed amount of energy in fuel and that's going to be your limit mm-hmm. to some extent, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you can get more air, like you like you had mentioned with a bigger throttle body, then you can maybe throw in a little bit more fuel and you can get more power, right? Yes. Or if you were running rich, you get a little bit more air and now you're running leaner, uh, you're closer to that stoichiometric burn and you're getting more power. Yes. Um but everything always is going to come down to this this ratio of fuel to air in terms of power, anyway, mm-hmm. um, and the burn. So when it's burned um, will be based off of your ignition timing. So you hear a lot about timing. That's mostly what people change with the tune. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you're, you're just really trying to optimize this ratio. Um, yeah. And I feel like before we move on from exhaust, I should just note, don't be a turd, right? Your stock car, if it's stock, right? Uh, you're not boosting a naturally aspirated car or you're not throwing on larger turbos for a boosted car. Um, you're probably not going to outflow your cats, don't cut them off just because. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Um, and if you're actually building a car from the ground up and it's a road car, Magnaflow has some pretty high flowing cats. Mm-hmm. You can work it out to where they're not the restriction in your system. Yeah. Right. Because what you're always going to be chasing when you realize that you need this specific ratio, um, what you'll be re- chasing is a restriction. Uh, and there's always going to be something, um, whether it's your air restriction or the amount of fuel you can, of fuel you can get in the car, whether that's injectors, probably injectors, maybe fuel pump, mm-hmm. um, you know, or how much of that burnt gas you can get out, which is going back to the exhaust that we mentioned. You're you're always chasing a restriction. If you're not an idiot, you can make it so your cat's not the restriction. Mm-hmm. If it's also a road car, don't be don't be that guy. 
And lots of people cut those off. They get like no power gain out of it. Come on, bro. Yeah. Don't. You know, we we uh, we only have one planet here, so yeah. If you're if you're not racing, <laughs> um, which like I said, it can be somewhat of a safety concern when you're racing to have catalysts that hot, mm-hmm. um, and they're not really designed for that full throttle for two hours straight kind of use case. Uh, right. In that situation, I would definitely get rid of them. But in any other, but yeah, it's not it's not worth the. I mean, it might be worth the gains for you because it's free free gains, but for the most part. I mean, if you're just doing track days, you're you're not trying to win a race here or anything. You know, it, you yeah. might be trying to get that sub 140, but you can you can find it in other ways. Most likely, just by more seat time, more than uh, cutting off your cats. But um, yeah, yeah. So you know, listen to the racing <laughs> podcast about one planet. Yeah, you know. Yep. <laughs> but very, <laughs> I mean, we're very green here. Yeah, very very <laughs> green. Obviously. Um, um, yeah. I, but, you, but yeah, it, I've seen, I guess what I'm getting at is I've seen a lot of people get rid of them and it's very unnecessary because they don't actually understand how the performance mods all come together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with an engine, they are very um, synergistic, I guess. They mm-hmm. all need to work together. So doing one thing like that, you're just kind of a turd. <laughs> yeah. Um kind of you mentioned it briefly there uh talking about like there's always something's going to be a restriction and mm-hmm. and by looking at the intake ex- and exhaust for first we're both trying to we're trying to promote some better airflow through the engine both in and out um but then also kind of prepare us for the next level of mods that we might be able to get it get into mm-hmm. uh basically but um because yeah, ultimately these all start to almost comp- compound on top of each other um uh, to maybe maybe you won't see much gains initially but once you start changing things like uh your camshafts or your intake manifold uh, things like that that then all of a sudden you might be seeing big gains so i guess you know we can start getting into that so you know it's mm-hmm. so say now you've you've updated your intake at the least you now have a nice uh front facing kind of snorkel getting some high pressure cold air from the front of the vehicle and then your filter is properly sized for your 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 new horsepower amount. Yeah, I guess start with telling me how the camshaft is doing. Yeah, I mean, if we started at how a four-stroke works, just, just yeah. tell me what that camshaft is. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, it depends on the engine layout, but uh, engines are going to have anywhere from one to four camshafts. Uh, for the most part, yeah, I don't think there's any any that have more than that. But basically, when you see something with a single overhead cam or dual overhead cam or cam and block, uh, that's more that's more going to dictate basically the number of valves per cylinder you can have most of the time. With a dual overhead cam allowing four valve per cylinder, with the cam and block usually you can get four valve per cylinder. I think in the most modern and the, in the latest designs, but mm-hmm. traditionally two. But but so basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> LS power, bro. Oh yeah, and and so I'm I'm more familiar with your dual overhead cam four cylinders. That's that's my bread and butter. Um, but you know, your camshaft, it's 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 just operating. It's just it has several different lobes on it for each cylinder. Where basically one camshaft will usually uh, drive uh, one. I guess 
two 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 valves per cylinder so in a four cylinder with dual cams it'll be each cam will be in charge of eight valves um two per cylinder and basically all they're doing is they're opening the opening the valves and closing them at the proper timing based on so they're 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 usually chained or belted into the crankshaft mm-hmm. uh at a certain ratio i think it's usually 2 to 1 um, so that they open, uh, basically, you know, they, I believe they usually spin, I can't remember. Should be two, two to, one. to one, right? Yeah, it's two to one. But ultimately what your camshafts are doing, they're, they're spinning based off of the camshaft speed. They're spinning and opening and closing those valves. So based on that and the lobe kind of profile changes mm-hmm. when they open the valves, uh, as long as you, of course, you're cam timings right so right so so the valves are sealing the head um right and you have intake and exhaust valves Mm -hmm. and when the intake valves open you're pulling an intake air when the exhaust valves open you're pushing the air out yes and they're just what seal that the head yep right Um, yeah so they're the the cam i guess because you're talking about lobes and just so everybody's on the same page here right that uh, think of a circle and then make it eccentric, right? Mm-hmm. That lobe, you have a, a weird shape where you just have this growth on the circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not centered around where the camshaft is spinning. So when that rotates, it'll push the valve. Yep. Like physically, there's a physical connection and it pushes the valve. And that lobe is shaped... Um, Mm-hmm. To like time the valve and you know the yeah the profiles get kind of crazy detail, but I guess the the point is when you're when you're talking about lobe, you just mean like the camshaft is pushing mm-hmm. the valves open or not. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there's kind of a base circle that's that mm-hmm. as as your your valve or your lifter your follower is. I guess in the case of like a four cylinder overhead cam, there's usually the valve is, is then uh, kind of actuated by a rocker arm. And then there will be a, a hydraulic lifter in, in the most in case of most cars. Some have solid, um, but whether hydraulic or solid, I mean, hydraulic is just designed as, as maybe wear happens over time. Uh, oil pressure basically pressurizes this lifter to stay the, basically keep the same pressure between the cam and the valve uh, over time, whereas something with a solid lifter is going to require some reshimming or maintenance over time. But ultimately, the cam is riding on this, in most modern engines, kind of a roller rocker to reduce friction. But So when it's on this base circle, the cam isn't, the valve isn't opening. But as soon as, like Eric was saying, there's kind of, a, there's kind of an extension on a growth. As it rotates through, it'll then push the valve open. So... Mm-hmm. That profile is, is very important for, for a lot of things. Um, uh, that's basically dictating, you know, when, when the intake valve is opening, how long it's, it's open, how much it opens, uh, and then when it closes and, and how fast it closes. So uh, cams usually are, it's almost like the brains of the engine other than the ECU, of course, but that's more on the fuel control side. Mm-hmm. On the actual air control side, the cam is kind of the brain. Um, so in that case, uh, cams are kind of honestly one of the biggest places to, to make gains. A lot of race classes and, 
and uh, a series, maybe you can't change that. But if you're able to, honestly, it's it's kind of relatively, it's kind of lower cost, a little more uh, more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and an overhead cam engine, it's not too bad to take your valve cover off and, and adjust it as long as you make sure you can hold your your timing chain and belt in the correct position to not have to retime the engine. Right. Um, but a lot of times can be pretty doable. Um, if you have to, uh, if you have to change valve springs at the same time, that's where it starts getting tricky. And a lot of times you kind of have to do it at the same time, which we'll explain in a second here. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so camshafts can really be a huge improvement, um, by shifting the kind of the intake timing or the intake valve and exhaust valve timing to allow, uh, in some cases, they can allow more overlap. So basically, there's times where both the intake and exhaust are open at the same time. And this can reduce pumping losses, basically, by uh, during certain strokes. It allows there to be less resistance by having them both open. It can pull from both sides. And it reduces kind of the pumping losses in the engine. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just depending on high RPM usage um and trying to promote just more airflow they can by changing that timing it can it can promote basically more airflow at those higher rpms which you know most of the time these streetcar engines are tuned more for low end so by right. readjusting that that kind of that that opening and closing point as well as that duration it can help promote a lot more airflow and exhaust flow uh by updating that camshaft and then the kind of the other way that I guess. So if you're just changing those numbers, your kind of duration, your initial opening, your closing points, a lot of times those don't require a valve spring changes. What does is when you get into lift and as well as ramp rates. So some very aggressive camshafts um, for racing engines, they'll have almost uh, instead of having kind of a circular extension of that lobe, it, it kind of looks like, it's something that looks like I can't think of a I don't know, like candy corn. I don't know. It's a short. It's bigger at the bottom, smaller at the top, and it has yeah. a nice angle to it. Uh, I can't think of anything else that size. <laughs> but instead, you al- instead you almost get a square where it's just kind of rounded on the edges, where it's 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 shooting that valve open like immediately. It's it can't be a perfect square because that would basically it would open and then close a little bit, but. Basically, ramp having really aggressive ramp rates then allows you to just get more air in because you're you're wasting less time waiting for that valve to open. It's just opening as fast as possible. And of course, that's very aggressive on the valve spring and the valve itself mm-hmm. and the kind of velocity of it. So when you're adjusting ramp rate as well as lift, which also kind of effectively changes that ramp rate because if you have the same ramp rate but then you increase the lift, which effectively is just making that lobe longer so it extends opens the valve more mm-hmm. you're usually going to need a more aggressive valve spring and then on top of that if you're tuning your engine for higher rpms or raising your rev limit you also need to make sure you both increase the the basically the, the spring rate of that valve spring uh, and then ideally go to a more stable design like a beehive uh, design which helps kind of stabilize the spring at higher rpms by having it smaller at the top, bigger at the bottom, it's more it's uh, it's more stable and it allows you to reduce the weight of the retainer, which basically is the connection between the valve and the valve spring. Um, but 
ultimately all this is by by updating your valve springs to higher pressure you're preventing that valve float so which is when the valve is pushed open and then it goes to close if that spring rate isn't enough it can basically cause the valve to sit uh basically be floating no spring pull pu- no spring kind of pulling it back right um yeah you're pushing so hard and so fast that the spring can't react in time effectively yeah. and your valve just sits there yeah and then worst case then your valve hits the piston as it's coming up uh, through the stroke and you're going to bend a valve and that can create a lot of issues and at, wor- at worst case mm-hmm. you break the valve and then basically there goes your engine uh, so definitely be careful with you know a lot of manufacturers cam manufacturers will recommend certain valve springs it's with certain cams mm-hmm. um, but there's definitely a lot of gains to ha- be had there because not only like we were saying before are you tuning it more for this higher rpm range that you're going to be racing in um, but then also it can just allow you to just get a lot more airflow you know since that's ultimately what's restricting the air through the engine it's when it's closed it's not letting any in when it's open it's letting as much as it can so by opening it more you're creating your a lot more air to get in by opening it longer again more air could get in and by changing that ramp rate you can also effectively change the amount of time that is that is open you know more open longer which again promotes better airflow so cams are are really yeah they're key very important and i i guess maybe just to hammer it again just because we don't have our uh whiteboard thing up (laughs) and going right now um maybe another way to think about cam cams and cam lobes and ramp rates is if you're at home, just draw a circle. And then next to it, draw another circle. Um, smaller circle. And connect the two with tangent lines. Um, at least if, if if you're already lost, Google tangent lines. Because I, I can't help you too much here. Or just cams. Or... Yeah. So um, when you connect these two, uh, the line... That goes from the big circle to the smaller one. Um, you know, this is what your your follower is following for your cam, and this is your ramp rate. So if you make your second circle larger um, and you keep those lines tangent, you'll see how that uh, rate, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, if you thought about something following the circumference of the lines and the two circles you drew you can see how that rate grows mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden it has to move up faster uh, and that, that's what you're talking about with ramp rate yeah um, and that's effectively what's happening so uh, may, maybe just another way to explain it because it's i understand it's hard when we don't have any visuals you know? yeah um but you know I, as you had mentioned you're, you're talking about intake flow and exhaust flow um and you know increasing those and changing the timing and really this is where all the synergistic changes on your engine come from yeah right is now all of a sudden your cam allows for more intake flow Mm -hmm. and because it does you need a larger throttle body if Mm -hmm. that's your limit you know there's there's different limits on different cars yeah but you know maybe that's where your intake piping is a limit you know or your intake runners are a limit yeah um yeah you know and then 
I guess we can get into heads and porting heads in a minute, but mm-hmm. you know, the flow through the, uh, most of the time aluminum portion of the engine, you know, um, or out of it. Right. And then yep. into your headers. Yep. Uh, that's where all these different flows we've talked about. That's where this really becomes big. Yes. Right. Is, you know, maybe you can get a little gain, out of you know your your stock engine but now you have a cam you can flow more air in you can flow more air out and now you need to change all the rest of your shit yes yeah so um yeah and and like talking about intake manifold it's it's similar to the header in that that runner length is tuned to a certain rpm range so then you can start seeing gains there maybe you need a larger plenum size now plenum that's that's probably more advanced topic that uh, I'm not fully, uh, I guess, versed in. But you know, a lot of times, larger plenum size can help, kind of the recovery between intake events by having that that large volume of air to 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 pull from. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually, larger plenums, especially in like high horsepower drag engines, can be a big benefit. Um, but uh, yeah, but then you might have space constraints there but but anyway so then you can start looking at improving your intake manifold uh your header maybe now once you start doing cams you want to go to a higher larger diameter exhaust like that that can start it can start snowballing by by having a good by looking at those initial mods and and really planning for that higher horsepower level that you're looking for Mm -hmm. um you can hopefully match everything together and because that's that's one thing i i've done wrong in the past is especially on the fuel side basically you're, you're upgrading things uh, specifically with like turbo engine cars up bigger turbo more boost you start to run out of kind of fuel injector flow to meet that same air fuel ratio mm-hmm. and if you don't have a big enough fuel pump and a big enough big large enough injectors uh, you really start bottlenecking yourself really quick and then you're not using all these nice new parts. You can't run as much boost as you want in the case of a turbo engine and that can really handicap you. Um, right. So yeah, just, uh, the, but the camshaft seems to be one area that I've, I've seen and found that you can gain a ton by tailoring it more towards your application. Now, of course we're not, you're, you don't need to go out there and try to grind your own cams or anything like that. Of course, like, there's usually options available in the aftermarket. Mm-hmm. Um, so what to look out for is to, to kind of see the RPM range that they're advertising as their ideal range. Uh, make sure you have the correct valve spring uh, to handle that cam, maybe a more aggressive cam. Uh, and then from there you can get them installed and see a lot, hopefully a lot of big power gains. But Right. Well, and I think I guess that maybe a side note, like most things in this world, there's diminishing returns eventually, mm-hmm. right? Your engine, if you're not boring it out or changing the stroke or doing anything crazy, um, will also be a limit at some point. Um, and maybe don't buy the most hardcore cam you can find. Yes. Right? Because, you know, if... Again, it, it, it bothers me when people use the phrase stages because there's no empirical stage two bro yeah there's no numbers behind it it doesn't mean anything um but let's just say on a scale of one to four so you have stage one and stage four 
Right. Um, when you're looking at your stage three cam versus your stage four cam, um, it will be a point of diminishing returns, mm -hmm. right? Your stage four cam will probably do better, but in a very, very narrow range at the top of your RPM. Yeah. So if you don't have a car that's only ever used at the drag strip, you know, even if it's just you driving it there and back, maybe the the lower level stage three uh, cam is your option, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I guess don't be too greedy when you when you think about that because um, they're and re I guess really just read about them, you know, because the yeah. manufacturer should tell you. Um, yeah, know, just don't and go overboard. And one thing to look out for when we talk about these really aggressive cams is some of them are actually designed for you to, uh, they're intended to be used with aftermarket pistons that have larger valve release reliefs, basically. So yeah. there's, yeah, ultimately there's, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to be careful about when going to super aggressive parts that are more designed for fully custom kind of race engines that have different pistons, rods, and, and those sort of things. Um, I mean, but I guess taking it back a little bit, um, these are all ways to improve kind of airflow in your, your current engine. Of course, one way to improve horsepower is the old adage, there's no replace for displacement. That's right. Um, ultimately putting a bigger engine or uh, boring out your existing engine, uh, stroking it, which uh, is another word for increasing the crankshaft stroke. So basically... You know, there's the bore and stroke that determines your displacement by increasing the stroke by lengthening kind of the length of the eccentric part of the crankshaft. You're then increasing mm -hmm. your stroke. Of course, you're going to need stroker pistons, which are usually just shorter pistons so that they don't pop through the cylinder head. And, right. Uh, yeah, but, I think think of bore as the width and stroke as the height. Yes. Really. Just two-dimensionally, I guess. Yep. Yeah, so and, and that's what you use to calculate your, your volume. You're, you got your circle and you kind of extrude it through a length and that's your, your displacement. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, by doing those things, you can definitely increase your horsepower. The, the bigger your pump, basically your engine, uh, the more airflow you can do. So kind of all, all that we've talked about to this point is increasing that volumetric efficiency. Uh, so, which is, you know, if you have a hundred percent volumetric efficiency, that means, you know, air, Air coming in, coming out, it's all, it, there's, you're using all of it. There's no kind of losses. Uh, that can be basically impossible to do without force induction. With force induction, you can actually get over 100% volumetric efficiency, which is fun. Um, but, um, but basically, by, by improving that efficiency, you're getting more power out of that same displacement. But if you just in place, just increase that displacement at the same volumetric efficiency, you will now have even more power. Uh, so, you know, that's what we've, I think what we've gone over so far is kind of everything you do without, uh, short of your V8s with cam and block, which might be difficult to do a cam in with the engine in, uh, is most of what you can do with the engine in. Of course, with all these intake and exhaust upgrades, you might want to resize your injectors. Um, mm -hmm. So on the fuel side and maybe go to a larger fuel pump, but we've kind of covered everything you can do without pulling the engine and start doing things internally. Yeah. Uh, at least for naturally aspirated. Yeah. For naturally aspirated. It, if you want a lot more power than going 
turbo or supercharger is going to be then your next bet for just bolting something on. But Mm -hmm. if your car was never designed for that added boost and cylinder pressure, you might want to, you might still need to take the engine out. Uh, Yeah. There's some other things to to go over there, I guess. Yeah. And I think we'll, uh, we're planning to do an episode on the kind of turbocharging and supercharging uh, soon. So yeah, keep, Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I guess sticking more towards your, your, naturally aspirated or just your stock turbocharged vehicle that you're not changing anything on um you know so at this point you did your cams your exhaust your intake everything's nice and free-flowing your your fuel injectors are big enough to main you know to keep up with that air fuel ratio you kind of next area you're looking at is um is kind of those internal changes you can a lot of some blocks can can take some overboard it depends how much they can take how thin the the or how small the spacing is between each cylinder um so from there you know you can do an overboard a lot of times an overboard is more meant to basically refresh that kind of that cylinder wall to make it seal a lot nicer with brand new piston rings and everything um, but of course that can add some displacement by doing a stroker kit, as we talked about, you can mm-hmm. further increase your displacement. The thing to watch out for there is by increasing that stroke, you're increasing your piston velocity. Because if you think about now that, you know, that eccentric part is much longer. So there's certain portions of that stroke that now it needs to accelerate much faster as it goes to the same spot. By So by increasing that piston speed, you're going to potentially increase wear and and or just need a stronger piston basically right to to do that so right well and if i might chime in just because i love this dynamics part of it right <laughs> the uh, a way to think about it is at a specific rpm right your your crank is moving at the same velocity it's it's turning at a fixed amount um so if you're at an rpm and you stroke your engine that means all of a sudden your piston is going further mm-hmm. right um you have to remember that your piston changes direction right it goes up and then it goes down so that means that at bottom um also colloquial no colloquially known as bottom dead center you know when it's all the way at the bottom and top dead center when it's all the way at the top um that distance changes but at the same rpm the amount of time you have to get there doesn't change yep so to go from uh full stop on one side to a full stop on the other side you have to accelerate much faster mm-hmm. um and decelerate yes right um i mean the the, the actual velocity of opinion of a piston is phenomenal honestly mm-hmm. but um yeah, that's that's dynamically how it's working. Is yes, yeah. You know, you hit your max acceleration halfway in between bottom dead center and top dead center because um, your piston has to speed up, get to a velocity, and then slow down. Yeah, because it's going from zero to zero velocity on either side. Yeah, so basically, you're you're going to start increasing your forces there, mm-hmm. um, and by increasing your forces, then you need to increase the strength of those parts so mm-hmm. both the piston and the rod uh the connecting rod start to be a concern for for strength so once you start doing those changes you're going to want to upgrade your rods your pistons so 
yeah, but that starts to get, I think, a little more advanced, which I think we'll also like to maybe dive in more towards internal mm-hmm. engine upgrades later too. So, th- so this is where your kind of limit is uh, with short of turbocharging, supercharging, or going crazy with your internals, port and polish, oversized valves. Uh, this kind of gets you to that that kind of that limit. So at this point. Yeah, you can either yeah go for turbocharging or do a full crazy high RPM engine build, or you can swap in bigger engine. <laughs> yeah, that's another way too. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I guess real quick as a I guess a teaser into that later talking about internal engine upgrades. Like, and we've talked about revving higher usually allows you to get more horsepower because the higher you rev, it's kind of part of the formula of horsepower. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that RPM part. Of course, if you, as long as you can keep the airflow up at those high RPMs, you can breathe well enough, you're going to gain a lot of power by increasing that rev range. But, you know, kind of like what we said with cams, there's by increasing your valve spring stiffness and design and improving the design, you can get more RPM or ability to find more RPM that way. Because also, as you increase your RPM, that the, the speed in which the intake valve and or exhaust valve has to open and close also increases. Mm-hmm. So valve spring is very important for higher, higher RPM usage. Uh, but then if, if you want to increase your RPMs, you start have to looking at the weight of a lot of these components to try to reduce those forces on them. Yeah, that inertia. Um, yep. And then you start getting into like crankshaft counterweighting and bearing, you know, uh, your bearing design and oil pressure at those higher RPMs. Like, so there's there's a lot of limiting factors to just running ten thousand RPM on your you know Civic engine or something. So right, those those complications really start to snowball when you get up there. Yeah. So it's not yes, yeah, and that's never as easy as just going into your tune and removing the fuel cut at seven thousand RPMs. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. But I guess mm-hmm. the last thing I'd like to talk about, kind of this episode, is kind of what you just said tuning mm-hmm. so ultimately the tune is what kind of brings this all together too if the the engine needs to know all these changes basically that you're making so that's as simple as if you install larger fuel injectors make sure it knows to scale all of its corrections and everything to this larger fuel injector size uh, but then you also have your ignition timing table and this one it's definitely an area that's where a lot of the, the gains are going to be found mm-hmm there's no like formula as far as I know for finding the ideal ignition timing. Ultimately you, you're going to need to either test this on the dyno or at the track or while, you know, while tuning basically. So, uh, you know, I guess a couple little tidbits is, you know, we talked about stoichiometric ratio. Um, but the ideal kind of highest horsepower, at least for non turbo cars is actually a little richer than stoichiometric just because, uh, for one, the fuel actually, when it atomizes, helps cool the intake charge a little bit. So you'll find a little more power gains than just going 14.7 to 1 on gasoline. Um, and that's also even further exaggerated with uh, ethanol-based fuels like E85. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, with their increased alcohol content, also atomizes and basically acts as chemical intercooling. But again, we can... Right. Pr- then, well, E85 also burns slower. There's Yes, yeah, yeah, it's more more knock there. resistant and mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, but yeah, so but ultimately, so th- there's going to be f- air fuel ratios, which again through dyno tuning is the best way to find mm-hmm. the best air fuel ratios for your engine 
for your 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 setup, your application, uh, and then also tuning that ignition timing because you know you, it's great if you could just run usually higher. Your ignition advance is better uh, if you base, but if your engine could support it, and there's always going to be a, a limit, which is uh, which is called MBT, right? Um, which Need is best timing. Yes. So ultimately, you want to be able to if you can run MBT at your goal is to to set up your engine so you can run that but ultimately any more gains past that uh you will not you know you'll not find any more horsepower and MBT again you'll find through dyno tuning you'll you'll keep increasing timing all of a sudden you'll get to a point where you no longer see any gains or just see a lot of knock um which I'll get into really briefly in a second here but ultimately you'll you'll find that point and that's you know that's your limit of tuning you can't find any more basically right uh, and the, and the concept behind that i guess is if you think about you have a fuel air mixture right and you ignite it it takes some amount of time for that ignition to propagate mm-hmm. right that flame front to to go through this volume um so the, the concept is that you're igniting your fuel-air mixture before your cylinder is at top dead center. So then, because um, everything is continuously moving, right? By the time your piston gets all the way to the top and it has the most pressure built it can just from compressing this fuel-air mixture is also when your flame propagation your combustion event is at its largest, mm-hmm. right? You combine those two pressures. Um, you line those two peaks up uh, to give you, you know, the highest potential peak pressure in mm-hmm. the cylinder. Because, um, again, that that's what's going to push your crank back down and, you know, go through the power stroke. So you you align everything so you get this peak, peak pressure. Yes. Um, and that, that's just, I guess, where the concept of MBT is. Yes. So, yeah, again, there, I'm sure in some textbook there's some kind of formulas to see what to expect, but ultimately every engine kind of has its own MBT based on RPM and piston design. Like, there's just, there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of stuff going into it, but you'll find basically on the dyno, they'll get to a limit where no increases in timing don't improve horsepower. Um, so your goal then is to be able to enable enable yourself to get to that point. And one way to do that, I guess, kind of, I guess, to wrap this all up is with octane and fuel. So I, that's another. I think it's a good place to kind of end this episode on. Basically, is just yeah. a quick overview of that octane because I see a lot of people putting in ninety three octane into their you know stock engine car and expect to see gains from it, but ultimately if it runs on low grade anyway yes yeah so ultimately if yeah if your car was designed for 87 octane and you put 93 in you really shouldn't see any gains unless for some reason that engine's already knock limited so basically when we say knock limited it means you can't you're limited on you know the quality of that fuel the resistance to detonation of that fuel which is what octane is right um yeah so the this fuel is igniting before the spark plug sparks yes right it's you're not controlling it anymore is the problem yes right yeah yeah so knock is very bad that's usually the main cause of a lot of engine failures is 
by detonating that air fuel mixture, air fuel mixture, not when you don't want it at certain points of the stroke, it can create very bad, you know, force inputs that can break things. So, you know, ultimately you need to protect against knock and be monitoring it. Most modern engines, if not all have knock sensors Mm -hmm. that are paying attention to this and can reduce ignition timing based on that. Uh, but so as long as you're monitoring that, you can, you can keep an eye on that, but, but kind of talk about putting 93 octane in your stock engine. Mm. If, if it's already able to get to MBT without, you know, without any knock, then adding any extra octane won't really help. In some cases I've seen it maybe hurts a little bit because it's almost like the, the fuel isn't able to get almost hot enough to, to burn properly with higher octane fuel in this kind of limited engine but that's that's not going to be too uh it's more i think you'll see that more with much older engines um Mm -hmm. so ultimately you know as you increase these mods and kind of push that engine to the limit you're going to increase cylinder temperatures which is going to promote more knock um, and that's when you're going to want to start looking at higher octane fuels right yeah so i guess a, a good way to think about this is your um your octane rating on your fuel is just a resistance to knock. That's it. It's not about the quality of the fuel. Mm-hmm. It does not. 93 is not necessarily better fuel than 87. If you dropped some oil in some 87, it would raise the octane rating. Don't do that because <laughs> the oil doesn't burn, right? This is why you get other fuels. You get ethanol or methanol, alcohol. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to go crazy with, um, that's all meant to burn. So, so don't do this. <laughs> it's just an example that, you know, if you had put fuel or oil in your fuel, it would raise its resistance to not because it doesn't want to burn. That yeah. is a lower quality fuel. You don't want to be using that, but its octane rating would go up. So just remember that octane is only resistance to knock. It's not a quality thing. Putting 93 in your car that's meant to run on 87, it's not helping anything. Yeah. And if anything, you're just paying more for really no gains. Now, one thing to note is some some fuel, uh, some gasoline uh, manufacturers will they'll add maybe better detergent packs and everything that help reduce soot and and carbon buildup and stuff in the higher, in those higher octane fuels. But that's more as a kind of uh, marketing and and it it can, it can be better. Uh, But that's more to promote you to try to buy that higher octane fuel, which, you know, could maybe help your engine stay cleaner longer, not actually run cleaner, but just, you know, prevent deposits over a long period of time, high mileage, not really too much of an issue in a race engine. Um, So, you know, that might, you know, maybe if you really care about that, you go for the higher octane, but if you want more performance, you're not going to see it there. Um, so yeah, so as I, but as I said, you'll start to, as you improve the flow through your engine, you're increasing your, uh, buying basically increasing your horsepower for the same displacement. Effectively, you're also increasing your cylinder pressure and temperature, uh, which will ultimately lead to knock as, as increasing your cylinder pressure and temperature, uh, increases your possibility of pre-detonation which mm-hmm. is knock uh, so as you get more and more into those advanced mods higher rpms that kind of thing that's when higher octane fuel becomes necessary so 
again, if, as long as you're monitoring knock and you have a, or have a good tuner you can go to that, that knows, I'm sure knows all these things, they'll be able to help you out really, um, uh, to, to find the right solution for your, your setup. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, you know, I think that's, and it's kind of your basic, uh, mods, what to look for to try to get more horsepower. Uh, like I said, we'd, we'd like to, in the future, definitely go into more force induction, supercharging, turbocharging, mm-hmm. um, maybe more advanced engine mods and maybe even kind of, uh, I like, I, you know, one of my hobbies is, you know, assembling engines and, and everything, at least, you know, every once in a while I'll put one together. I, I take a lot apart, but, uh, but every once in a while I'll put one together that works pretty good. So, um, you know, maybe go into like some in- introductory to engine building too. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I think that kind of covers our, uh, this episode on engines. We kind of, we did cover quite a bit kind of, it, it really branches off a lot when you're talking about engines. There's Yeah, there's so many parts. There, there's a lot of parts. There's so many parts. and Yeah, you know, and I mean, I, I think we barely touched on stock boosted engines, um, which I think we'll, we'll probably get into when we talk about boosting an engine just because it sort of lines up there better. But, you know, as a note, uh, in today's world with electronic boost controllers with a tune, you can just... Tell your turbo to boost a little more, mm-hmm. and if your injectors can support it, there's free power, baby. Basically free power. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll, I guess we'll get into that when we talk about boosting engines a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. So. So yeah, I mean, uh, as always, yeah, if you have any questions for us or want to hear uh, other topics, uh, you just reach out to us on our Facebook page or Instagram mm-hmm. at Motorsports Tech Talk. You know, we're pretty easy to find. Um, yeah, and if and if you want to make sure you, you're up to date on the latest episodes, either follow those pages or our podcast on your favorite uh, podcasting platform uh, to to basically see when the latest comes out. But, um, but yeah, I think that should basically cover us uh, for this week. And we always thankful for you listening, listening this long. And, and uh, yeah. Thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you guys again soon. See ya.